And we're going to look at chapter 2, verse 15 through verse 29 as our sermon text today. So let's listen carefully to God's holy and inspired word. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from from him remains in you, And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. This is God's holy word. Let us pray. Oh Lord, our God, we praise you that you are our God, that you are, we can call upon you, that you teach us your way, and that you call us away from the things that would distract us and lead us away back to yourself to remain in Christ. And oh Lord, we pray that we would hear that call, that we would experience that more in uh, the fellowship of being in him and extension with one another. Oh Lord, we pray that you would teach us this day. Lord, give your spirit to this congregation to give us life, to give us virtue, to give us those qualities which conform to Jesus Christ so that we can walk as he walked. Oh, Lord, we need your help in this. We need for your church to do what it is called to do. We need the animating power of your spirit. So, Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had the privilege a couple weeks ago of spending some time with a missionary to Japan. And this missionary wants to plant a church in Japan. And the problem that he has in plant, had in planting the church is that he, he didn't really know Japanese. So he had to learn Japanese. Now, uh, you, you, most of you know that I have an interest in languages, and I've spent some time studying Spanish in this summer. You know, there's a lot of words that are similar in Spanish and English. 
Japanese, not so much. It's, it's a really foreign language. They have all kinds of characters that you have to, 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 to remember as well as the alphabet. I mean, this is a hard language. So he spent 50 hours a week in language school for a year to learn Japanese. And now he's at a point where people ask him if he grew up there. He's learned it that well. But you know, in order to get there, he said, he, what, one thing, so I talked to him about learning languages and asked him what he had learned and so on. He said, the main thing is just putting in the time, keeping at it. And eventually you learn. All of us have learned languages. We're made to learn languages. We just got to keep at it. And you know, most things that are good in this life are like that. If you're really going to experience the blessing of them, you have to keep at it. Whether it's relationships, whether it's skills, whether it's, it's uh, going up in your job, starting a business, whatever. And above all, it's in the most important thing, which is to have joyful fellowship with God and then also with other human beings. In order to experience that, we have to keep at it. We can't give up. We've got to keep going. We've got to keep doing the things that we've been doing. And so that's what we need to do. Keep at it. And that's what this passage is. It's a call to keep at it. And he warns us that that's not going to be easy because there are internal challenges and there are external challenges. There are things that would keep us from keeping at it. But he also tells us that fortunately, and thanks be to God, there are many resources that we have in order to enable us to keep on track. So that's four things. We're going to look at the command, then the internal and external challenges, and then the resources that we have. So let's look at the command. You'll notice that, in essence, he says it twice in a row. In verse 27, he says, Just as the anointing has taught you, remain in him. And then he says, verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him or remain in him. And so that is the goal, to remain in Christ, to remain connected to Christ in such a way that we are in fellowship with him, that we are experiencing his power, that we are experiencing his life. And you notice that he says in verse 28, he says, Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. In other words, we're living in fellowship with him in such a way that whether he comes or whether he calls us home, we are ready to meet him. Because we've been in fellowship with him, and it's like we just continue in transition into his heavenly kingdom. And as one of my favorite theologians said, that we're ready to enter heaven on a full run. That is the idea. So how do we remain in him? Well, we're going to talk about a lot of that in this whole series. But if you look back at verse 24, he tells us one thing that I think is really important. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Now remember, the apostles knew Jesus face to face. They had fellowship with him like we're having fellowship this morning, like we're going to have fellowship over coffee. They experienced Jesus like that. But then he went away. And how were they going to have fellowship with him after he had left them? He didn't say, then our fellowship is done. He says, it continues. How? Through my word, Jesus said. And that's what John is telling them. Take his word, have it in your heart. Keep bringing it to the forefront of your mind. Don't let it go way back into the depths of your brain. Have it at the forefront. That's how you remain in fellowship with him. So, let me just ask you this morning. How are you doing? How are you doing on that? Are you remaining in fellowship with him? Now granted, you're here. You hear his word. It's a good time 
for us to fellowship with the Lord, with one another. But what about when you leave this place? Does it all slip out of your mind? Do you let the busyness of the world, the things you got to do that are good and legitimate, distract you? Or are you keeping your heart close to the Lord? That's what we're called to do, to remain in him, to remain connected, to remain in the vine. Now, why does he tell us then to, why does he emphasize this so much? Because there's many things that could keep us off, could get us off track so that we would not remain in him. There's many things. And so let's look at those, the internal and the external threat. First, the internal threat, the threat inside us. So this threat is actually called the world. In 1 John 2.15, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So it is the world that would keep us from being in Christ. Now, why do I call it an internal threat? It sounds like it's something outside us in the world. But if you listen carefully to what he's saying, you'll see that it's something that's inside people, not something that's really outside people. Listen to 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. That is what the world is. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are all things that are inside us and inside other human beings. Those are the things that would keep us from remaining in Christ. And so what are they? Well, the lust of the... Well, let me just say this first. Some people think when they hear the world, they think of things that are out there, that material objects or things that people do. And again, just let me underline here. That's not really what the world is. All things God created are good. It's the approach that we take to those things in the world that makes them worldly, that is, opposed to the Lord. It's, it's an attitude. It's a way of life. It's a way of looking at the world that is worldly. And it's in other people. It can influence us. But it's also inside us. And we have to be aware of that. If we're going to remain in Christ, these are the things we have to battle against. So what are they? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, we can understand it as the fact that we have certain needs. Our flesh does. Our body, clothing, food, in northern climates, uh, shelter, and so on. And all these things are things that can distract us, that can keep us from the Lord. Jesus warned against us against this in Matthew chapter 6. He said, this is the way of the world. This is the, what the world does. They run after all these things. They're concerned about those things. Now, and what does Jesus say is, make your first priority heaven, the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be given to you as well. But it's so easy to let our anxieties about basic provision for life keep us from fellowship with Christ. But then secondly, we have the lust of the eyes. Now Solomon describes, Solomon says, the eye of man is never satisfied. Because even if we have the basic provisions of life, there's always more that we can have. Read his sermon, the book of Ecclesiastes, where he talks about all the things that his eyes saw that he wanted to do. Build big buildings, um, gather servants, gather, have flocks, and so on, all these things. This is the lust of the eyes. It's, it's having more, it's doing more, it's doing something bigger, which is not, again, always wrong, unless it takes over our heart. That's the lust of the eyes. And I think 
that for most of us in America, this is the big temptation. Thanks be to God, surviving in America is not hard. I mean, we have a basic provision. There's, we have food, we have shelter and abundance. We have, even with the shortages we have, we could switch over to something else. If there's no beef, we can get chicken. You know, if there's no beef and chicken, we have beans. I mean, we can, we have so much stuff here. But then, that doesn't say, we don't, we often don't take that and say, now I'll cash that in, I'll devote all my time to serving the Lord. Instead, we let other things distract us. Our tools, our toys, our sports, or our church life, or our family life, whatever the case may be. It doesn't take much to get us distracted. But then we have the pride of life. And the pride of life is really seeking to make ourselves the center of the world. And that can be, we can do that by seeking to create a big empire where everything is around us, or we can shut everything off where we're in charge of our little empire, and we don't have anything to do with anybody who will not acknowledge us at the center, or even, even that we make such a small world where we, we can only enjoy pleasure, and that's where most of our addictions come from, is from the pride of life. Now, it's easy to see that this world and that mindset is opposed to God. That you can't have that as your, as your center of your existence and have God at the same time. The world is telling us to focus on provision for our lives. It, it is telling us to focus on enjoying the things in this world. It tells us, make yourself the center of everything by building a large or small empire. And these impulses are all inside of us and the people of the world have an ally inside us that wants to join them. So we have to fight against all these in order to keep that joyful fellowship with God and man. That's the challenge. All this stuff coming at us and we've got to say we've got to keep focused on the Lord. Now that's the internal challenge. So what's the external challenge? Well, John has a word for that too. It's called Antichrist. 1 John 2.18, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. So there's the word Antichrist, and of course it means anything that is opposed to Christ. There is, a, we could say, uh, an Antichrist or the Antichrist, which is, which, is, which is a manifestation of all that opposes Christ that is destroyed at the end of the world and manifested at the end of the world. And what exactly that's going to look like, it's somewhat hard to tell, but the Bible speaks of that. But then it also says that there's not just this one Antichrist, there's many Antichrists. In verse 22, it descri he describes it. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. So John was concerned in his day that some people would simply give up on Christ because following teaching of those who oppose Christ. Now this, this may have been uh, what's called docetism, which is, was a denial that, that was basically said the material, material world is evil. And so Jesus Christ didn't really become a human being. He just appeared to. And that was a teaching that the early church had to reject because it's contrary to who God is and, and to his creation and who Jesus is. But it also could refer to um, those who say they believe in the Father but also rejected the Son. And if you look at John 5, 21 through 24, you can look at it later, you'll see that it says almost exactly what John says here. And he was opposing those in G who Jesus was encountering who said, we believe in the Father, but we reject the Son. He said, no, 
you, have, you either reject, you, you either believe in the Father and the Son or you don't believe in the Father or the Son. Now in our day, those things too are there. There's plenty of false teaching out there. But I really think there's two things that probably affect our congregation, the people that we know the most. One is the idea that, one is the idea that all religions are the same. And so, so that people just say, they have a general interest in religion that can just say every religion is the same. They all lead in the same direction. The problem with that is uh, to say that all religions are equally true is, first of all, a statement that, that uh, I, am, I am able to see all the religions, to know that they are all, that they all, I can see them better than all of y'all, and I know that they are uh, all the same. So that's an absolute claim. It's not a, it's, it's not a rejection of truth. It's a truth claim. But then also, all the religions of the world make claims that contradict one another. And ultimately, what this ends up meaning for all, saying all religions is, is, are the same means that we deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that he alone is the substitutionary sacrifice for sins, and that it is in him alone we have forgiveness. That's where that cashes out. That's where that ends. And so, but it's easy to fall into that because it's easy just, we want, and, and there's a right sense in which we want to be at peace with people and show love to people. And the Bible certainly commends that, but not at the cost of truth. But the, the second one is probably the bigger one. It's not that we think through this so much. It's more just indifference that these things don't matter. And a lot of times this isn't real well thought out. It's more just like, it's just people just start doing stuff, they get busy, and then it's like, this doesn't really matter. I'm living my life, and it really doesn't matter what that stuff about God, that stuff about Christ, and I can just enjoy my life here. Of course, the problem with that is that Nobody knows how long they're going to enjoy their life. There are bigger issues of the world and of ourselves, of life and death, and we need to confront that. But it's easy for us, because the world is so indifferent and treats so many religious questions as if they're a matter of complete indifference, for us just to fall in that and our weak act like Christ doesn't matter at all. Those are the threats that we face that can keep us from keeping within, keeping in Christ. Now, all of that may discourage you. And in a way, it is discouraging. But the Bible doesn't only give discouragement, it gives encouragement, and it discourages us so that we can find encouragement in the right place. And the good news of this passage is that there are significant resources to help us keep at it, to help us remain in Christ. And what are those? The first resource is the promise of God, promises of God's word. The promises of God's word. Listen to what he says in verse 25. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. When he's thinking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the Antichrist, what does he point them to? There's a promise. Eternal life. Now, eternal life is not just endless life. It's a quality of life. It's a life lived in joyful fellowship with God and man. As Jesus said, this is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's joyful fellowship with God and man that lasts forever. As it says in verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So how do we put down all these things that, are, that are threaten us, that want to take our attention, and want, or trying to make ourselves the center? Well, we realize that we have all goodness and the best way of life, a way of life that lasts forever, 
even when it seems tough, in Jesus. And how do we know that? Because God has promised it. So we keep those promises at the center of our lives, and we realize that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything will be given to us, and that's how we put down the temptations of the world. The word of God is a powerful resource to enable us to keep at it, and that's why we need to keep in the word. Again, I I just highly recommend to you that you have some sort of plan for keeping in the word. It's so fundamental. It's It's not that... This, is a, this, this will solve everything. You can do this in a way that doesn't fellowship with God. You can have the Bible without fellowship with God. But if you're going to have fellowship with God, you really got to have his word. Because that's how he fellowships, fellowships with us. So have some sort of plan. Some time a day when you read a chapter of the Bible or half a chapter or a psalm or something like that that gets your heart focused on the Lord. That's the resource God has that he's going to use to keep us keeping at it. The second resource is that while we have all this other, we have all sorts of junk that remains inside of us, we also have a new life that is within us, that is striving towards this right way, that is keeping us, keeping at it. It's really astonishing what he says. He says that they have an anointing. Listen to what he says in verses 20 and 21. He's like, he's saying, look at all these bad things people are doing. Everybody's leaving and stuff, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I don't write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. You all know the truth. You have this anointing. It's a very high view of the Christian. What does he mean by anointing, though? Well, in the Old Testament, they would anoint people with oil. And it's a fancy way of saying they pour oil on their head. And what they would do that is a way of setting them aside to a particular office or duty, like a king, like a priest, like a prophet. And they would do that, and then that person would be set aside to be a king, prophet, or priest. And that's, in a way, what God is saying is here. A Christian is like being set aside to an office or duty. To, be, to reign with Christ, to seek and pray for others, to make known his word. We are prophets, priests, and king under the great prophet, priest, and king. Now, this anointing in the Old Testament was also often accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit coming visibly. And so sometimes when people would receive an anointing, they would actually prophesy or they would be empowered to do something that they couldn't do before. And so when we think of the anointing, we need to think of it not simply as setting aside through the word or through oil, but also as the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about the new life within us, and as you can read all throughout the Bible, that new life is a life of the Holy Spirit. It's God living and working in us. There are new characteristics in us, but they're also sustained and empowered by God himself, working especially through the third person of the Trinity, known as the Holy Spirit. And you can see that what this spirit does within us is enable us to keep at it. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So if we are born into this new life, that's how the new life is described here, then that enables us to keep doing what is right. And so we are enabled to keep at it. So there's a power within us that is working towards what is right. And what we're going to see throughout this book is that this This life that is in us cannot fail. 
This life cannot perish. It remains in us. It may grow dim. We may grow, it may grow, we may see it less at times, but it remains. Now, what about the people who walk with Jesus for a time and then leave and no longer walk with him? Does that mean that the life of God failed? No, John has an answer for that. He says, here's how we're to think of people who turned away. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. That life is so sure to remain that if someone leaves, we know that that life was never really there in spite of appearances. That's what the Lord teaches us here. So the second power, or the second resource, is the power of new life within us, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The third thing we have going for us is the church of God. Now, this is not stated explicitly, but it's implicit. Because this call to remain, this call to keep at it, where does it come from? It comes from the apostle. It comes from the church, calling us to keep at it. And that's what the church can do. They can help us. They can call us. They can warn us. They can encourage us. They can help us when we are struggling. And so when it comes to the church, we need to make use of it. Are you struggling today with doubts? Do you feel yourself having trouble keeping at it? Well, there's a room full of people here that want to help you. Don't just keep that within Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. Come talk to some of the many people here who can help you. People who've helped me as I've been walking along. The church of God is a resource. So we don't need to despair in the face of the world because we have the word of God, we have the new life within us, and we have the church of God. So what should you take away from this message? Well, I want to encourage you that you are the people who've kept at it. You've kept at it. You've done it. That life remains in you. You have that anointing. And in one way, you don't need anyone to teach you. But let me just encourage you. Don't give up. And if it seems tough, if you're struggling, believe and recognize that you have amazing resources. So I was thinking about this sermon. I remember one pastor in our community um, who was speaking at a prayer meeting that we had for, prior to the election. And, and I remember so clearly what he said. He said, he said, what will happen if my side loses tomorrow in the election? And he said, I'm going to keep doing what I was doing and more of the same. And that's really what I want you to walk away with. Keep doing what you've been doing and more of the same, using the resources all the more that God has given to you. They are so great. They're so wonderful. And we can lean into them and use them to enjoy fellowship with God and man that brings other people in, that blesses ourselves and gives glory to God. And that's what we can do by the grace of Christ. Amen.